0: Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders podcast from TrainingIndustry.com.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Business of Learning. I'm Scott Rutherford, Director of Marketing at Training Industry. I'm here with my co-host, Taryn Aish, Managing Editor of Digital Content at TrainingIndustry.com.
0: Technology is a fast-paced, challenging world, but as our guest today shows us, it also provides a lot of opportunities, both for the technical employees and for the people responsible for their development.
1: This episode of the Business of Learning is sponsored by the Certified Professional and Training Management Program.
0: Hi, I'm Brandy and I'm the Learning Program Administrator for the Certified Professional in Training Management Program. The CPTM program was designed to convey the essential competencies you need to manage a training organization. And when you become a CPTM, you gain access to alumni resources like monthly peer roundtables and a full registration to the Training Industry Conference and Expo. If you start today, you can earn the CPTM credential in as little as two months. To learn more, visit cptm.trainingindustry.com com.
1: So we're joined today by Vidya Krishnan, who's Global Chief Learning Officer at Ericsson. Hi, Vidya. How are you?
0: Hi, I'm great. How are you?
1: Great. Well, um, and glad to have you on the podcast. Vidya, uh, for those of you listening, has also been a, uh, a several-time speaker at our, uh, the Training Industry Conference and Expo, and so uh, a friend of Training Industry. Good to talk to you again.
2: Love being there, love going there, and thank you so much for having me.
1: Maybe, let's start off, uh, could you describe, I know you have a fairly, uh, you you were just promoted, so congratulations, but uh, describe for us what your role is at uh, Ericsson.
2: Sure, absolutely. So I think uh, in simple terms, my role is to lead a team of very dedicated, passionate people who believe that our collective role is to enable a very powerful learning ecosystem at Ericsson that helps our amazing 90,000 employees across 160 different countries change themselves um, again and again to become their best selves in terms of expertise and how we serve our customers and society. So we believe that our role is really to be enablers of a vast uh, and very powerful and empowering ecosystem where learning becomes a habit uh, and a habit that matters.
1: And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about this as we as we go on. But uh, 160 countries, 90,000 employees. Yes. Ah, uh, that's a that's a formidable challenge. Just just uh, just from a from an organizational standpoint, I would imagine.
2: It's a challenge, but it's a privilege of a challenge because you know the idea of Ericsson enabling and unleashing the full power of connectivity for society requires that we really represent society within our company, within our workforce. And definitely, you know, by being so global and yet so local, we feel that we can do that. Uh, So to have that kind of diversity and then to create inclusion out of that diversity and to create belonging out of that, where all of these people in their unique ways feel that there's a shared purpose of, again, unleashing the full value of connectivity for society, for our customers. Uh, It's not easy. It's absolutely a little daunting but uh, I, there's no work I'd rather be doing. I think most of the team feels the same way.
1: Well, that's, that's great. Uh, wh- how did you get involved in learning and development? Maybe you can take us through just a, sort of a quick backstory on your career path because I, 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 I do talk to folks who are in learning and development, and, and you know, not everybody has, has an eye to uh, advance to senior leadership, but um, sort of what was, your, what was your story? Where did you start? What was your first uh, learning and development role, and, and how did you move from there?
2: Sure, sure. Um, I guess, you know, these days I look around and I see that most people who do what I do, uh, or who are learning leaders in general, uh, there's no such thing as a, a normal profile, I think, anymore. So uh, it, I don't think it'll surprise anyone to hear that I, I didn't really start in the field of learning and development at all, other than being a, a learner myself, and uh, quite frankly, maybe a slow one at that, who loved learning, but definitely needed to spend more time on it than most people. Uh, When I first joined, I'm an engineer by training, so my uh, major uh, was electrical engineering, and I loved the idea of mobilizing people to solve problems, and I loved the power of solving problems through technology. All my uh, years, I I never saw anything that made such a transformative difference uh, socially and commercially as technology, and so it was That feeling that kind of motivated me to go into engineering, even though, quite frankly, I probably wasn't very good at it in the beginning, took me a long time to feel competent. But being an engineer, working um, in the design and the construction, the integration, the optimization of wireless networks and wireline networks across different technologies, this is where I think I first understood from the learner standpoint how powerful this work can be because day in, day out, when you're customer facing, when you are on the front line, you know that what you know is literally the difference between doing the best you can do for the customer uh, and for your team and you know, leaving things on the table. And as hard as we work, it was even apparent to me back then that every time our team would undergo any kind of learning journey, there would be an order of magnitude increase in our capability. Not just our capability, but even our cohesion. We felt more like a team, the smarter that we got and the better that we got in our role. When I first joined uh, Nortel and wireless was completely new, it was new to the world and it was certainly new to me, I was so lucky to have these amazing mentors who literally would take me into a small room and draw on the whiteboard, um, teaching me things that I wasn't able to learn any other way. And then throwing me into projects, whether I was terrified or not, where I could apply all that. And one of the early opportunities I got then was to be a teacher. So very early in my career, I got to be a guest teacher at our training center at Nortel. And the first time I had an assignment, I thought to myself, my God, I don't know this stuff well enough to teach it to anyone. And I had to go on a learning journey myself. And I think I fell in love with teaching at that moment, uh, if I wasn't already Loving it before, when I stood up in front of that class for the first time, and together we went on this amazing journey where we were, you know teaching, and, and quite frankly, I was teaching them, and they were certainly teaching me. And I felt at the end of that that I had learned in a way that I never would have done otherwise if I hadn't taught. So I think that was my first taste of what it's like to be in this wonderful field. Uh, but again, for the next 15 years or so, I really was uh, within engineering and operations which taught me so much about disciplined execution, about customer service, about teamwork. And about six years ago, I really wanted to turn this passion of mine for training and teaching and learning into a profession. It's something that I had been doing kind of on the side in every job I ever had. And about six years ago, I really thought I want to learn what the business of this is like. And that came about from shadowing someone. We actually had a wonderful day here where we could explore and shadow different people in their jobs. I got to shadow an amazing technical trainer here. And when I saw the world through her eyes, I thought this is the team I have to join one day. And it took me a year and a half to do it, but that that impetus to come to training started with that um, with that chance encounter of uh, shadowing her. When I finally joined the team, I was lucky enough to join the team. I mean, I had to go on a transformation myself to become someone who could be in this field and to learn about learning and learn uh, how the business worked. And I started six years ago by leading the customer training business for Ericsson in North America. I loved it, I loved it, because this was the beautiful combination of technology, customer facing, running a business, and feeling somewhat entrepreneurial as a team that we were trying to create, not just learning, but we were really trying to transform how our customers learn. And early on, it gave me this beautiful taste of how valuable learning is to our customers, to our industry. But sometimes we don't always do a great job evaluating it. When we struggle to put a price tag on it, when we struggle to put an investment amount on it, that part is hard. So I think it taught me that difficulty. But to work alongside such creative people who are also technically very astute and very concerned about imparting knowledge to others and learning alongside them it just seemed like a dream (laughs) a dream job and I was uh, very happy to do it for many many years uh, six years growing this team and turning into something else we really started as a delivery center for training and I think by the end of it we can say that we're a new team now that's more of a studio that is delivering training not just in the traditional ways but in all these new ways that are much more cohesive and community focused through interactive and immersive technology. And now um, with that training background, with that customer training background, I was just extremely excited to step into this role uh, as Ericsson's chief learning officer and now focus on really how do we create this learning ecosystem for our employees to be able to serve our customers. So I'm
0: sorry, it's a long answer to your short question, but that's the the story. That's great. Uh, I love that you said that um, that like a, a lot of people in learning and development, you didn't start out on this path. And I think something that seems true for you and I imagine for other people who whose career paths have kind of taken this turn is that because you, you got into it because you were interested in it and excited about it and passionate about it, um, I, I think that's a different it's – a, it's a special motivation, I think, to enter a career path. And that has to impact your work, I think. Absolutely. I think more often
2: than we cared to point it out, uh, competence usually follows passion. Uh, sometimes it's the other way around. But I think when it comes to this, particularly for me, that the passion took hold probably long before the competence did. I had to learn, you know, what, what I needed to learn about learning because I knew that I loved it first. And I think I do share that with with a great number of people. And I I think it's a a wonderful thing about this kind of work that we do, training and learning. Uh, There's so much to love about it. And it's one of these fields that if you do love it, and you love it sincerely, and you're ready to learn and work, uh, sort of the universe is ready to teach you. People are, are, especially that's one of the reasons I love going to Tice, you know, people are happy To share what they do, what's working, what's not working, happy to talk to you about what you're trying to solve in your company. I don't know too many areas out there where that kind of camaraderie exists across the industry on a professional level. And I think that is a very wonderful, unique thing. We don't even give ourselves credit as an industry for that, but I think it's a cool thing.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that there's, and this is just my, my 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 theory, but I think you know you're you're probably onto something. People who um who find it rewarding personally to help other people are probably drawn to the teaching pro- you know profession or or to be an instructor. You know what we're talking about fundamentally um, is is a position where we are simultaneously we're helping people we're yeah. helping the business, we're helping the, you know, we're we're helping the larger assemblage of people that we work for, but it's still all about, all about helping, helping people.
2: Yes, absolutely. I remember um, the amazing technical trainer that I shadowed that I still credit with kind of giving me that first taste of what this life was like, Shari Hoffman, and who's still, you know, amazing member of the Ericsson uh, Learning Services t- team. She, she had told me before, in all, she's an engineer, she was an R&D, and she said, of all the things I've done, This is the one thing where when I do this work for my students, you actually get, you know, some measure of that professional affection, if you will, reciprocated. And she said, there's no technology I know that's going to love me back (laughs) for all the work I do on it. There's no, you know, um, technology solution that's going to love me back the way students do when you've made a real impactful difference in their lives. And I've never forgotten that. I think that's so true. It's a beauty.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into a little bit, um, specifically, uh, technical training and IT training. Um, and so, especially since you come from, you know, engineering background, I think you have a unique perspective into uh, whether technology companies face different types of training challenges compared with companies in other industries. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yes, yes. At uh, First, let me start off by saying I think there's an element that really is
2: universal, uh, that, you know... Every employee that I know, and every company that I know, uh, who has a learning challenge or a training challenge, it's not because of a lack of will. It's not even because of a lack of skill. It's just usually it's a lack of time, and the whirlwind, if you will, to quote from Franklin Covey, the whirlwind of our of our lives uh, sometimes suffocates the 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 deep time that we need to really change ourselves. So that's a struggle that I think that's just universal and it definitely plays into technology training like anything else. What I think is unique to a tech company and to technology employees is the sheer scale and velocity of what they need to learn and then unlearn and relearn. Because by definition technology doesn't stand still. We're fond of saying here that change will never be this slow again. Here at Ericsson, you know, we're building the, the things, the hardware, the software, the digital business transformation, the, the services of, of managed, uh, managing networks, we're building the things that are accelerating tomorrow, and that technology itself is undergoing evolution and revolution constantly, which means our people can never stand still, and they are expected to you know, serve our customers by being experts in what they do, and not just experts in what they do and what we build but quite frankly, being experts in what our customers need and how our solutions can help their customers. And so that is a pretty tall order to acquire that level of both mastery and breadth and then do it again and again and again uh, as the technology constantly evolves. And, And most of the time, these are not minor evolutions. They're pretty seismic shifts that happen Uh, just looking at the world around us and how we're going from 3G to 4G to now 5G, enabling the internet of things. These are seismic shifts that are going to make societal changes. And literally we need our workforce at every level to become experts again and again and again. That's the beauty of technology, but that's definitely, I think, one of the most difficult challenges that we are by definition so busy implementing those things. By the same token, we have to carve out time to relearn and unlearn and get and grasp the new things to, to quite some depth.
0: All right. So now that you've uh, kind of laid out the challenges, um, what uh, what what can organizations do to keep the their employees' skills up to date? Uh, And um, is it, you know, ongoing training for, you know, coding or engineering staff, or is it kind of just making sure that the organization as a whole is keeping abreast of new technology? Uh, And then, you know, from a training manager's perspective, how do you kind of manage all of those training needs and get the resources you need from them? Yeah, I think our take on this is evolving
2: and, and maybe it's a little bit different from the traditional notion. I think, you know, for many years, the role that L&D had to play in a company was to be kind of a solution center for learning to, you know, propose learning solutions and we propose someone else would dispose. Um, but I think now the sheer complexity and scale of what is needed requires that the way we manage this, quite frankly, is to make it easy for our workforce to manage it themselves with our help rather than to try or even believe that we can manage it for them. And I think that is a subtle but significant shift because, again, it requires us to go away from this notion that we are a solution center, an all-knowing solution center, pushing out programs and curricula into much more of an ecosystem architect, provider, and partner, a collaborator that is willing to co-design programs and sometimes act as a venture capitalist for people who have ideas from the fringe about what they need locally. So I think our role, and this is really Ericsson's brand promise, the quest for easy, that's our role here. We have to make it easy for people to manage their learning journeys themselves. But I want to caveat something here. Very often when we talk about learning, we tend to, to speak about it as an individual isolated thing. It's definitely an individual thing. I think it works best when it's not an isolated thing. And we believe that there is a lot to be gained in intact team training uh, where we, you know, you belong to your team, as busy as you are, you always have time for your manager staff meeting. So we really believe the more we can leverage the fact that you are part of a team. So if we put the learning journey into your team, into those meetings, into your operating rhythm, you're much more likely to be able to make time for it because you will always make time for your team. So we do believe uh, that our role is to enable this ecosystem where it is just much easier. And by easier, I mean really four things. How easy is it to know what you need? How easy is it to get what you need? How easy is it for you to contribute to the pool of knowledge to teach other people? And how easy is it for you to grow and change your role based on your efficacy as a learner? Those four things are what we are very focused on enabling uh, so that people can really manage their own learning journeys and build their future. And it is a different thing from saying that we will manage it for you with this tool or that tool. That's why we keep using that word ecosystem because we think more than any one single tool or platform, it is making sure that all of these things work rather seamlessly with the learner at the heart of them but recognizing that the learner is part of a team, and the more we can do to take the team on a journey with the learner, uh, the more we can do to help the learner manage their learning in a much easier way.
1: So, in that <laughs> in that uh, lab environment, I guess you used the term uh, "learning lab" earlier. It sounds like yeah. what you're, what you're describing here. Um, then, does does the learning? Uh, man, does the the learning and development uh, uh, function have a responsibility then to help uh, curate the content? Because we we found another inst- other uh, examples. Um, one of the challenges with uh, sort of crowdsourced or social, social learning, learning as a group when, when, when the learners are, are bringing their own materials to the table, as it were, is, is you know, those, um, those lessons may not always be the ones that uh, uh, the department or the company might want. So how do you control for that in that ecosystem?
2: Yeah, again, I'm not so sure that the idea is to control rather than create a system where it becomes self-healing. And by that, I mean, uh, when you look at some of the crowdsourcing platforms of any kind today, things like YouTube and, um, you know, for that, for that point, even Twitter or Facebook, you look at things going viral and some things do go viral. Some things don't go viral. Some things are really amazing content that should go viral and doesn't. And there is no one way that that happens. Some of it is through, you know, I make a reference to Amazon and how, the fact that people, consumers can give ratings to their experiences and products, um, ratings in TripAdvisor, ratings in Uber, sort of ensures a meritocracy that the really good stuff, the really good experience, the really good um, content and, and experience kind of rises to the top because it's a little bit harder for, you know, a crowd at that scale to, to be that biased It does happen, but it's a little bit harder. So you rely on those TripAdvisor ratings. You rely on those uh, Rotten Tomato ratings because they come from such a diverse cohort. So I think a little of that is necessary. And that's what I mean. The ecosystem has to enable that um, self-identification of of great content. But I also think part of that is answered by technology. Uh, One of the things that we are big into here is the the power of artificial intelligence, of machine learning, uh, especially to know us and be able to personalize what we need based on seeing patterns in us in our usage that maybe we can't even see ourselves. So we do believe there's a kind of interplay that, you know, humans rating their experiences and the best ones sort of rising to the top, but also using some of the most powerful uh, artificial intelligence algorithms and machine learning um, approaches to be able to personalize and curate content somewhat automatically for learners. Uh, you know, when we all look at our phones today, the newsfeed we get is so heavily curated, uh, but you know that, that that's not human beings doing that. That is, that, that those are machines and algorithms doing that and they do a great job. So I think again, for us, it, we, we don't think that there's any one method that's the best, but we need to have an ecosystem where all these different methods can be used and, especially the idea that some of these algorithms learn. So if I curate content and you hated it, you know, I screwed up, the machine screwed up, and we get better with time. So I think that's really the approach. It, it is a very difficult question because the sheer volume of content is so overwhelming that I think it causes a bit of learner paralysis. And anytime you ask me if I'd rather watch an e-learning video or, you know, have somebody whiteboard something, I'm always going to pick the second option. So how can we still make sure that e-learning is very effective in the place where it needs to be, but also connect people to each other. For us, a big thing, and I go back to that thing I said about teaching and just the love that you have for imparting, not just knowledge, but insight that makes someone feel they've learned something or that they can do something that catalyzes them to to change. I think we have to, in a learning ecosystem, connect people, not just to content, but to other people. And that is a cool thing for me, that in a in a company as large as ours, using some of this technology, we can make connections between people across those 160 countries who might otherwise never encounter one another, but they may actually be the best pairing or the best group or the best community to learn from one another. So I think that's that's what I would say. Again, long answer to the short question, but... A combination of machine algorithms uh, AI um, people giving ratings and then literally making connections between people and not just people to content
0: I wonder if uh, it's um, especially beneficial to have the user generated content in a field like technology you know where you have these really specialized really technical skills that the, you know the training department can't possibly be an experts in uh, I mean obviously you have an engineering background but that uh, um so it's it's beneficial for them to learn from each other um yeah. as well as what the company provides because they just have that resource of of really specialized skills that are you know sitting at the desk next to them.
2: Yeah, you make a great point and I I think to add to that when you think about the skills that we need to do our best work you know in the learning and training industries we love to talk about hard skills and soft skills and personally you know I hate this term soft skills because Last time I checked, there's nothing soft about any of them. I I much preferred to talk about technical skills and human skills. And as far as I can see, when you really need to do your work, you don't just need one or the other. You always need both seamlessly fused together. Even though we treat them separately, we talk about them separately, we sort of solve for them separately, when they finally need to show up in the learner in terms of performance and on-the-job work, they need to be together, they need to be sort of married. And so I think that's one of the benefits when, when you really have on-the-job training, meaning that there is somebody there who feels somewhat responsible for training you on the job, you get, in the best of circumstances, you get both. You get the technical skills, but you also get the human skills that have to be wrapped around that for the technical work to have the desired impact. And so that's why I feel that creating those connections of people to people, of course involving content, but of people to people allow for learners to get the critical combination of technical and human skills somewhat together. So what they really have to do is just emulate the the, the great things they're seeing, behaviorally and technically, and I don't know that we can do that you know any other way as effectively uh, just just through content alone.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that the human skills are soft skills. Uh, um, that's something that uh, I, I had meant to, to bring up here because, you know, I, I've heard and I think think probably it's, it's even been in the you know, mainstream uh, media discussions of higher education over the last, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 years at least. Uh, um, one of the challenges uh, that engineering schools, uh, uh, computer science departments at universities have had um, and sort of have, been, been, have wrung their hands about uh, over time. Is, is, well, you know, we have graduates who are so well-prepared technically, but so ill-prepared socially for the workplace. And so I wondered, you know, so if is, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds to me like what I'm hearing is, is you're saying that this, this learning ecosystem is a way really to to solve for for that uh, you know to call it I don't know if it's is it overstating to call it a, a a gap of a skills gap when you're onboarding new technical staff I mean how how much of an issue is that really um, and and then how how is the uh, the, the system uh, of learning from peers and learning from an ecosystem addressing that
2: Yeah I think first of all I'd say that if you take the view that you're preparing people well technically, but you're preparing them inadequately socially, my view would be you're preparing them inadequately technically. Because again, when I look at the real work that we're doing, most of the work we have to do is technical and social. It's technical with machines and with other people. And so you just, I think it's very difficult to be the best technical person you can be if you don't feel that you adequately know the tools to communicate, articulate, uh, empathize. Oh gosh, definitely empathize with the very people for whom you're building a solution. So for me, it's very hard to disassociate these things. And I often find the people that have the best technical reputation, uh, that it's not an accident that they have great human skills. And uh, sometimes the people that have great human skills who find that they lack some technical skills have a much easier time making up for that. Mm -hmm. So it does make me feel that we have to um, build our ecosystem, and I shouldn't, you know, I really can say it's not something that we just look back and say, oh, we have it now. It's sort of never done, but we're always building this, but we have to build it in a way that addresses that gap by marrying these two things uh, in, in the experiential part of the training. Definitely, there's a sort of classroom component whether it's in a virtual classroom or an e-learning you know um, experience there's a part that you kind of have to learn away from the field where you're actually executing but there's a huge part of when you're actually doing the work and you are committing it not just to didactic memory but to muscle memory where you need to learn the work and the behavior that goes along with it and you mentioned it you know is it a gap and absolutely it's a gap but i would go so far as to say i don't think it's just a gap for onboarding i think it's a gap period at every stage where you know people are experiencing change in their role, this is the danger that you have to surmount. Uh, definitely, at the critical moment when you're new to a company, that's definitely one place. Uh, for example, the moment you become a people manager for the first time, the moment you take a customer-facing role for the first time, the moment you change roles, the moment you become a middle manager, the minute you become an executive, the minute you go from Engineering to sales, or from like me, engineering into human resources. Every time you change, you risk you risk this gap that you will learn the mechanics without the human skills, or you'll learn the human skills without the mechanics. And so, I, I think it would be inadequate to just focus on the onboarding population. But definitely, Scott, I, to me, this is this is a gap, and therefore, it's also an opportunity that I think all of our companies have, especially in this new. 5G internet of things internet of skills era to create immersive experiences that make our people technical experts customer centric problem solving experts and quite frankly social human empathizing people who then use all those technical skills you know for the good of good of their environment
1: so I have one more question. Maybe and this might sort of bring things a little bit full circle. Um, talking about the the learning ecosystem, um, we've been sort of, or at least at least in my head, it's been. It seems like we're focusing the on the natural audience of, of corporate training, which are, which are, you know, tends to be staff, of course. Um, but it sounds also to me that that the that the customer has a has a role to play. So how are you finding this uh, is working in practice? Are our are, are your staff learning from your customers in this in this ecosystem?
2: Most definitely, all the time. I mean, you know, I think our highest aspiration is that our customers see us as their partners, right? The people they can trust to solve their most pressing problems. Sometimes the problems that they may not even know they have. And that through our partnership, we discover those problems and we solve them, we anticipate them together. So in that sense, you know, learning, If we're partners, then we're partners in learning. And so we are definitely learning from them. And I think if you asked every technical trainer I know, you know, whether they leave a class, you know, having learned something themselves, even though they're the teacher, they would vehemently say yes. So I think that for sure uh, is something that's happening all the time. I think this ecosystem has to enable that because, again, this peer-to-peer teaching is fundamental to collaboration. And we are, at every moment, right, trying to be more agile in how we do things. Uh, That's definitely not just a software thing. We are trying to change our ways of work to be more agile, even as they become more disciplined. And we are trying to infuse design thinking into our collaborations. And design thinking means that you have, you know, empathy. And empathy, quite frankly, comes from letting someone else teach you about what they're going through. Whether they know they're doing it or not, <laughs> that's really what it is. You are learning from someone else about what their life is like, what it's like to walk in their shoes, what their pain points are, what their hacks are. And so definitely right there, I think, is the first place where we want to be students of our customers, to some extent, be students of our customers' customers and learn from them. But then when we try to work in this more agile fashion, where we try to break down something into a small scope that we think we can fully deliver, and then iterate and iterate and iterate, that iteration does not happen in a vacuum. It happens with our partners, with our customers. So I think in terms of both using this co-creation model, rather than this We'll go off, solution it, and come back and hope it fits. You know, I think that's one instance where we really want to learn from them and with, with our customers. And the second is, is truly in this agile way of work, where the iteration requires this really cohesive one team communication with all the stakeholders, our partners, our customers, everyone.
0: Well, Vidya, I think uh, you've proven t- uh, today that uh, technology is not, you know, just a world full of machines, that it's a very human business, and that learning and development leaders have a really great opportunity to partner with um, the the people who are working in technology. And um, we really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. Thank you
2: so much for having me. As I said, you know, as an engineer, I, I love the role that we can play because we exist to be a problem-solving agency, that enables our people to solve the problems that matter most. So it's just a privilege to be working in this space and to have collaborators like you. So thank you so much.
1: Thanks again to Vidya Krishnan, Global Chief Learning Officer at Ericsson.
0: We have a lot of great content on technical training and the impact of technology on learning and development on our website, trainingindustry.com.
1: And when you're there, you can also sign up for our free email newsletter uh, and select the topics you're most interested in.
0: We'll be back soon with more guest speakers on the business of learning. Thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at infotrainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.